welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 132. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Man, have we got an awesome, exciting episode for you today. How do I know? My dog is so excited, she's sleeping on my lap right now. Say hi, bug. Woof. Yeah, that was her. Honestly. All right. So how you been, guys? I hope your summer is going well. I'm excited. I've got some travel coming up. That's pretty cool. So life is good. Why don't we just get into it? What do you say? We'll kick things off with uh, our usual segment. Check in with Mad Mike Hughes. And we kick it off thusly. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. On July 28, Mad Mike posted, We're all set up at Cafe 24-7. Great place to eat in Lucerne Valley. There's a photo of the uh, rocket, the famous rocket. On July 27th, he posted Liberty One, that's the name of the rocket, will be at Cafe 24-7 this weekend. So I guess that's what they were doing on the 28th. Uh, No posts after that about, you know, how amazing this event... Wait, hold on. What's today? As I'm recording this, uh, today is... Wait, is it the 28th? What's today, Bug? No, 28th was yesterday. Uh, Saturday. So yeah, no posts. After that saying, man, we had an awesome crowd or some people fell off the flat earth while we were there or something. Somebody in response, though, posted flat out asking Mad Mike, are you still convinced that the earth is flat? Mike responded, yes. Once I came to the realization realization everything is a lie, then it's easier to research and understand that the shape of this rock may indeed be different from what we have been programmed and indoctrinated into believing. Then someone asked, how did you come to this realization? And he didn't respond. So, okay. So I guess it's not so much a specific belief that there's any science that the earth is flat, just a a general belief that everything is a lie. Life must be easier if you just think that everything is not true. Kind of like life would be easier if you believed that everything was true. Here's an idea. How about just sort of critically thinking about things as they come? Because in life, some things are true, some things are not true. Uh, And it is uh, incumbent on us to try and sort out which is which, rather than just believing flat out everything must be true or everything is a lie. Thus ends the soapbox portion of Atari Bytes. Let's close up the old Mad Mike Hughes update for this week. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Uh, what else is going on? This next thing, it seems like I've talked about this before. But I think I might have talked about it on my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. Uh, although maybe I talked about it on this show too. The Neko factory closed this past week as I record this couple weeks for you. The Neko plant in Reverie, Massachusetts, was shut suddenly Tuesday, meaning last week, by its owner, Roundhill Investments, LLC. The investment company owned by billionaire C. Dean Metropolis bought Neko out of bankruptcy in May for $17.3 million. Why do we care about this? Because this is the company that makes Neko wafers, the candy that has fueled grandmothers for decades, and also those little candy hearts that we can't seem to avoid at Valentine's Day. So now, where the hell are we going to get all this candy that nobody likes and that tastes vaguely like Pepto-Bismol? 
While I am sorry for the 230 employees of the factory who were abruptly told not to return to work except to pick up their last paycheck, uh, which kind of sucks for them and is a crappy way to treat your employees, I feel bad for them, but i, I got to be honest, I'm not going to miss the candy a whole lot. Other than that it's a sign of the changing times. Times which actually, in pop culture terms, like candy hearts, uh, seems less and less to be changing with the return of all these classic TV shows. That's a little segue, because uh, I'm a professional podcaster. Uh, right? We've got MacGyver on TV. There's uh, a new Magnum P.I. coming. Uh, Murphy Brown. I heard that Kelsey Grammer's shopping around a, a Frasier reboot. Sorry, revival, as someone correctly pointed out. If you just continue the story with the same characters and the same actors and whatnot, it's not a reboot, it's a revival. If you redo the show, uh, reimagine things, like MacGyver. MacGyver's not a continuation of the original Richard Dean Anderson. It's a whole new imagining of that character. So that's a reboot. These other ones are revivals. Magnum P.I., I guess, is a reboot, too. Murphy Brown, uh, Frasier, those kind of shows are uh, revivals. Speaking of things that uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same, Star Wars Episode Nine just started production. There was an article recently with the cast list. J.J. Abrams is directing this after some drama over the previous director. Carrie Fisher, turns out, is going to have a place in the movie. Uh, of course, she sadly died after um, Last Jedi came out. It had been planned, and I guess maybe is still planned, that the third movie movie in this most recent trilogy was going to focus on her, which became a problem, of course, after she passed away. Uh, there was some talk of doing a CGI version of her, and that was quickly scuttled uh, out of respect to Carrie Fisher and the family. However, the article that I saw said they're not going to do that, but they do have some footage of Carrie Fisher, some scenes that she filmed, for The Force Awakens that were never used. And apparently the family has given the okay to use those scenes, uh, to, to rework those, and I guess probably re-edit those so that they are uh, usable in the um, in this new one, which I don't remember the name of. A New Order or something, I think Star Wars 9 is called. Something like that. So Princess Leia, General Leia, will have a place in the third, which is to say the ninth Star Wars movie. So, all you nerds can rest easy. Um, Alright, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... The battle of a century is taking place World War I Gigantic worms against the human race World War I, what you got to do video game system. One of the new games of the century from 20th Century Fox. Worm War 1. Sorry, Buck was looking at me funny when I was doing that voice. It's a 20th Century Fox game. 
came out in 1982. What do you do in Worm War 1? Well, you shoot worms, basically. I would tell you specifically what you do, but I have lost my glasses. Oh, there they are. We're using joystick for this game, turn the power on, duh. The objective is, as Master Tank Commander, you drive a tank through the city of Teriyaki. By the way, there's nothing about the cityscape in the game, such as it is, that screams to me Teriyaki or any other city. Uh, but I'm jumping ahead. Uh, so you, you uh, maneuver through the city, uh, blast away as many worms as you can. Worms and blocks, let me try that again. Blast away as many worms and blocks as possible without running out of fuel. That's it. That's all you gotta do. You're shooting stuff. Occasionally refueling. In that regard, kind of like River Raid. But as we'll see as we go through this, River Raid, much better game than Worm War 1. The microphone is probably picking up bug growling right now. She's not commenting on Worm War 1. Or maybe she is. Uh, I think she has imagined that there is something across the room which promises uh, to rain down evil upon us. So be, be aware that I am recording this podcast in a danger zone, apparently. Tilt your joystick left and right to pilot your tank back and forth across the screen. Tilt the joystick forward to speed up and backward to slow down. Press the joystick button once for a single shot or hold the button down for rapid fire. Use the game select lever to choose a play option at any time during the game. Option 1 is an obstacle course. Begin with the side wall segments and a clear playing screen. Obstacles appear after the first group of worms are demolished and grow denser with each sound each round. Option 2 is the straightaway uh, that maintains a clear playing screen. Option 3 features invisible worms. I've experienced invisible worms before, but not usually without uh, bouts of heavy drinking or cold medicine. Option 3, Invisible Worms, uses the Option 1 playing screen, but worms are only visible during brief flashes that light up the screen. There are also two-player cooperative options and two-player competitive options. So if you have friends, I don't have any friends, so I haven't been able to try those out. But if you have friends, you can try out either the uh, cooperative or competitive options. The left difficulty switch, or player skill switch, controls the worm movement. A or up equals random worm movement. B or down uh, equals fixed worm movement. Again, if you are experiencing random worm movement, please see your doctor. The right difficulty switch or player skill switch controls the tank movement response. A or up equals slower brake response. B or down equals faster brake response. Uh, For those wondering, in the field report coming up, I don't know what my settings were. I didn't pay attention to it because that's the kind of rebel that I am. Fuel. As each battle begins, your tank is filled with 99 fuel units. You lose fuel by moving forward and by crashing into obstacle blocks or giant worms. You can refuel by driving through Pagoda Gas Station. The faster you drive through, the more fuel you get, though your tank can carry no more than 99 units. The fuel gauge is located at the top of the screen. Worm War 1 ends when you run out of fuel or in option 789 when both players' tanks are empty. Running into a worm costs you 10 fuel units. Running into a block costs you 5. Moving forward, one wall segment equals one fuel unit lost. Driving through a gas station uh, equals 1 to 12 units gained. The more worms you rack up, the higher your score. The worms will always attack in groups. Each group begins with the appearance of one worm on the screen, then two worms, and then three or up to six worms at once because that's how numbers work. You earn 20 points for each worm shot in the first attack group. The worm point value increases and bonus points are awarded after each group is destroyed. You also get points uh, for blasting down obstacle blocks. Blocks are always worth 5 points apiece. Be sure to record your high scores on the back of this folder. See, I'll show you. Here's where you can record your scores. Got it? Alright. Hints from the designer, who I think was David Lubar? I'm not sure. We'll double check that here in a minute. 
To avoid being totally clobbered by hordes of worms, pull back on the stick whenever a new group is appearing. If a fuel pagoda appears on top of a block, carefully shoot away the block or try just to nick the pagoda. Nick the Pagoda is the name of my new album coming out this fall. When you are refueling, you are safe from collisions. Use this move to over inconvenient blocks. The far left and right sides of the screen are safe spots, but don't hang there too long. If you don't shoot worms, you won't bring on any pagodas. That's my going to be my follow-up uh, after to avoid being a one-hit wonder. That's going to be my follow-up to avoid the sophomore slump. Bring on the pagoda. The final hint is to have a good time and show those worms who's boss. Soon to be released by Fox Video Games. Games based on hit movies. Porkies. More fun than a grease pig. Six pack. Fast lane fun. Nine to five. Take this game and play it. Megaforce. Hey, that sounds familiar. I think we might have done Megaforce on this show like a couple of weeks ago. More fast inter- action entertainment. Turmoil. A topsy-turvy rapid reflex test. We've done t- uh, Turmoil on the show too. Long time ago. That might have been a first-year game that we played. Good stuff. Go look up those episodes. Megaforce and Turmoil. I have not done Porkies on the podcast. All right, and that is how you play Worm War 1. Turns out I was right. David Lubar did design this game, published by 20th Century Fox in 1982. Hybrid fixer shooter, fixed shooter, and vertically scrolling game. The classic game room on DailyMotion.com called Worm War 1 a game confused about who it is and that's its thing. You shoot worms, blocks, and fill up the mushroom, fill up at mushroom gas stations as quickly as possible. It's not bad for an Atari 2600 game, but doesn't jump out in any way, but has a special charm and is riddled with worms. Fans of games like River Raid and Fantastic Journey may want to check this out. An article on the Retroist found some similarities between this game and Tron, which I'm not going to talk about because I've never actually played Tron. The video game critic writes that back in 1982, when his friend brought Worm War 1 over to his house, he was not impressed at all. Underneath the ugly graphics, there is some challenging gameplay, rapid-fire shooting controls, and excellent two-player simultaneous modes. The graphics are simple but colorful, and the sound effects are surprisingly high quality. You can hold down the fire button to shoot rapidly, but that makes it easy to accidentally blow up those precious gas stations. I like Worm War 1. It's a low-budget shooter that works. Here are some worm facts. An earthworm can grow only so long. A well-fed adult will depend on what kind of worm it is, how many segments it has, how old it is, and how well-fed it is. And Lumbericus terrestris will be from 90 to, 30, uh, 90 to 300 millimeters long. A worm has no arms, legs, or eyes. There are approximately 2,700 different kinds of earthworms. Worms live where there is food, moisture, oxygen, and favorable temperature. In one acre of land, there can be more than a million earthworms. The largest earthworm ever found was in South Africa and was 22 feet from nose to tip of its tail. They live in the soil and bring the subsoil closer to the surface, mixing it with the topsoil. Slime, a secretion of earthworms, contains nitrogen, which is important for plants. Darwin spent 39 years studying earthworms 100 years ago. Worms are cold-blooded animals. Baby worms hatch from cocoons smaller than a grain of rice. Earthworms have the ability to replace or replicate lost segments. The ability varies greatly depending on the species. Even though worms don't have eyes, they can sense light, especially at their anterior front end. If a worm's skin dries out, it dies. Each worm has both male and female organs, and worms can eat their weight each day. This has been Worm Facts for this week. After the break, the rest of this episode worms its way into your ear holes. Kind of like that thing in Star Trek 2. 
Atari! Well, since the war, me and Old Blue just been wandering kinda lost. And by Old Blue, I mean Bug. But it seems like when you're wandering kind of lost, it makes more sense to be wandering with old Blue than a dog named Bug. No offense, Bug. I mean Blue. <sighs> the war was tough. The worms were relentless. The little smirks on their faces. Both of them. Because, you know, they got a face and a butt at both ends. Creepy, man. Well... We fought those worms, and ever since, I can't look at a gummy worm the same way. Alright, Blue. I thought maybe I had a finish for this opening, but I uh, really don't. So, let's just let the folks imagine us wandering off into the sunset. Here we go. How was that? So... What to say about Worm War? The worms look good for 1982. They kind of, you know, squiggle. Squiggle's a word. Across the screen. Um, it's weird how they kind of you know, Star Trek transport, transporter uh, energizing into the scene. But, alright. Um, your guy's pretty nondescript. He just looks like the, uh, uh, he looks like the tank from, uh, combat, actually. Oh, crap. I blew up a fuel pagoda. That's gonna be bad here in a minute. Nope. Oh, and I missed another one. It's like you're on the highway and you missed the turnoff, the, uh, the off-ramp for the rest stop. And you just finished your, uh, you know, large fast food drink from the last rest stop. That's a bad day, man. Crap. I'm out of fuel, yo. And it's weird because the game doesn't really end. You just drift along, not able to do anything. Alright, let's try that again. The colors are very early 80s, right? Lots of bright neon colors. Ooh, fuel. Ah, oh, man. I was trying to shoot that worm. Ooh, I almost shot another thing. Aha! I done peed, yo. And, and got gas. Bug is kind of bored. She's going to sleep. Got some more fuel, yo. I like the noise the worms make when you shoot them. Yeah, that noise. It's sort of reminiscent of stepping on a worm after a rainstorm. Not that I would ever do that. that when you're feeling, you're sort of invincible. The blocks don't really serve any purpose, of course, other than to add something else to the game.
be nice if they had some sort of strategic value. This is supposed to be a, a war game, right? War war. It'd be nice if it looked more like a like a military game, but with worms. Or if you were in an actual city. I know the premise of the game is that you're in Teriyaki, the city. Not sure why it's named Teriyaki, but alright. And now I'm dead again. War is hell, folks. And worms are gross. Don't ever forget those two things. Back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Here's the thing about Worm War 1. Okay, I had fun with this, briefly, but I feel like... I feel like it's better than I expected when I put the cartridge in, but I feel like also that I would get bored with it pretty quick. The game doesn't really advance at all. I mean, I guess you can monkey around a little bit with the obstacle course nature of it, or, you know, if you have friends, unlike me, as we've established, you know, you can do some of the competitive stuff, which maybe helps, but essentially, it's a one-note game, and the the graphics, what they are, are fine, but there's nothing about it that says to me war or even a city. It's just a black screen with multicolored blocks and worms on it. But I don't dislike the game. I think it's fine. I think it's fun to see that little tank thing from combat. That's a nice callback to me. So, yeah. The worms, I'll say this. The worms are cool. They look like worms, little Atari worms, and they make that fun noise when you shoot them, which maybe says more about me than about the game. But there you go. I said something positive. It's all about positivity here on the podcast. All right. Well, gameplay is all great and all that, and worms are cool, and, and you know, I want to I wanna, you know, go out and kiss a worm right now. But, you know, that's all fine. But what about the story? What's really going on here? Uh, it's wartime, right? It's man versus worm. It's, you know, dog eat dog if dogs were worms and man. And I don't really have anywhere to go with this opening. So let's just tell our story. This week's story is called Worms May Have Two Butts, But We Don't Know If We Can Kick Either One. A poem in however many paragraphs there is. I didn't count them. Two and two are four. Four and four are eight. Eight and eight make bombs go boom boom. Because worm soldiers can't count. Two and two are four. Four and four are eight. Eight and eight is how often we barf. From stepping on a worm platoon. War worms, war worms. Laying waste to all our tanks. You and your battle plans, you'll probably go far. War worms, war worms. Measuring the soldier's ire. Seems to me you'd stop and see. The city set on fire. Two and two are four. Four and four are eight. Eight and eight are sixteen. These worm segments go on and on. Two and two are four. Four and four are eight. Eight and eight are so many blocks, why don't they slow you down? War worms, war worms. Laying waste to teriyaki. You and your breathing skin absorb all our souls. 
War worms, war worms. Tank commander shouts at you. Seems to me you'd stop and listen, but you've got no ears. War worms, war worms, gathered round the fuel pagoda. Seems to me you'd let those be, or don't you want to play fair? Two and two are four, four and four are eight. Seems to me you'd let us be, because beautiful we are. But seems to me we're gonna be. Giant worms people stake tartar. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all the other ones that I can't think of right now. Just go look. But remember, wherever you get your podcasts, to inch your way over to Apple Podcasts and churn up the subsoil that is a review of this podcast so that other people can find the show. And then, much like after a rainy day, appear on the sidewalk in front of your friends' houses, and before they step on you, tell them, hey, go listen to Atari Bytes. Please also consider supporting the show financially by going to our Atari Bytes Patreon page and making a donation, preferably money and not worms. You can also pick up Atari Bytes merchandise uh, for the time being, anyway, at Zazzle.com. We have an Atari Bytes store there, uh, which may be shutting down. I keep saying that. Uh, it is actually going to happen at some point as I rethink what we want to do with that store. The website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And don't forget to check out our weirdness that occasionally gets posted on Instagram. You'll only regret it a little bit. And please, if you have time, don't forget to check out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. For all your Peanuts gang needs. We talk about the animated specials, the movies, the comic strip, obviously. Merchandise. uh, Delve deep into the mind of Charles Schultz. Uh, Whatever it is, if it's in any way connected to the Peanuts universe... We're probably going to hit it at some point on It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, which drops on the 15th of every month. If you're a Snoopy freak or there's a Snoopy freak in your life, and come on, you know there's probably several, tell them about this show. Thanks. Next time on Atari Bytes, Cosmic Creeps. All right. I had Cosmic Creeps once, uh, but I got an ointment, cleared it right up. So I have a good feeling about this episode. Until next time. Go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.